Welcome to Right Spokane Perspective with your host, Tim. And Shannon. It's opinion, fact, information, and your alert system. Stay tuned and enjoy the show. And welcome to Right Spokane Perspective on this Thursday episode. Thanks, everyone, for joining us. Well, I guess it's just joining me because Shannon is still away caring for those uh, elder parents that we have, and I hope there's more and more people out there willing to to do that, um, make those sacrifices, care for those loved ones around you because you only have them in your life once. So we're going to open up with some prayer, and we're going to jump into some headlines Dear Heavenly Father, thank you for this day that we're all blessed to wake up yet again to praise you, serve you, and to have a family and and all of the needs and the blessings that you've bestowed on us. And, and Lord, I thank you for our ability to reach out to our government, the constitutional freedoms that we have to interact with our representative government and lord be with them as they are getting ready to head off into the legislative session and give them people in their lives to to confront them with wisdom and discernment and lord i also want to pray for the situation in our city with criminal justice that it be just and that the new leader that comes forward to be our police chief under the new mayoral administration is focused on public safety and justice that is righteous and meets the needs of our community and increases safety for our neighborhoods. Lord, I know that these are tough tasks and we want to, as a body of Christ, as neighbors, as families and friends all want that safety in their community, we have to meet you in the middle or to give us that bravery to do so, engaging with our government and our neighbors in a positive way to have positive outcomes in this coming year. In Jesus' name, amen. So it's really hard for us to figure out how to engage with our government. We talked about that on yesterday's show how do you become informed and know what's going on when you have a press that sends you mixed signals, right? So I, that's why I give you the, the legislative hotline, 1-800-562-6000. And the website, this is a social media site, okay? This is a social media site that's government-funded with your tax dollars. Ledge.wa.gov, that's L-E-G.wa. Dot gov. There's every issue up there that someone might care about, and you can click on issues and bills and get updates in your email instead of your phone dinging because of uh, some social media site, something that might not be that important. Maybe your phone will ding because you got an email so that you can advocate for goodness in government. That would just be amazing. Goodness in government. Can I put that in the same sentence? I guess I just did. You can do that when you ask ledge.wa.gov to send you updates on issues. Now, not all of that's perfectly set up yet because there's been about 350 bills in place now that have been filed, but there's going to be a ton more coming up, and there's a supplemental budget that has to be passed that our legislature can take action on many items 
to correct governance. One of the best ways I think that we can correct governance and focus their spending when we see record budgets being passed is that citizens take away and their representatives take away money from agencies. So the money that they have left, which is more money than they've ever had anyways, is focused on the most important things that that agency is supposed to be focused on. So that is one way to stay educated on things. But as far as like the media and the press, you look at, you know, national news or local news and so often they send mixed signals. And I just want to give you another example because I've done this before, but I think it's a good example of what is the truth. We have to ask that question. And uh, sometimes the media gives us both sides of the story so we can try to read between the lines. But it's um, sometimes I think we need a more pointed headline and text of an article to really tell us the truth. I'm going to use just an art, uh, a page out of the Northwest section of the Spokesman Review from uh, Christmas Eve, and it said, This Washington city was named one of the best cities for Christmas festivals. And interestingly enough, the city was Seattle. I wouldn't think that myself just off of being in Seattle a few times, but uh, a new study conducted by personal finance website wallet hub compared a hundred of the biggest cities in the country and identified the most festive and most affordable cities for Christmas celebrations. The study listed one city in Washington in the top 10 Seattle. So I thought that was kind of interesting because I just don't see Seattle as a place I want to visit for Christmas. But apparently that is the case. They're talking about all the, Christmas friendly, you know, cities for affordability and festive celebrations. I, I it, it just, Seattle doesn't pop out to me for that. And uh, the next article kind of might lay out why. And this is from the Seattle Times. Previous article was from Tacoma News Tribune. So this Seattle Times article says, is SeaTac Airport really the nation's worst for international travel? Uh, well, a corporation called uh, Upgraded Points ranked SeaTac the worst in the country for global flights during the winter holiday season. So, best place for Christ- Christmas festivities, but the worst place to get to and from, apparently. So, where do we find the truth? That's one of the things, maybe, when we're praying for discernment and trying to seek the truth. Uh, you know, we, we, we've got to look at media and sometimes take it for a grain of salt and look into the issue. Maybe look at multiple media sources. I, th- I always try to look at multiple media sources to, to decide how I uh, should move forward on an issue or how I should think about an issue. Because, of course, there's bias, and biases of the media are unavoidable, really. And so we have to you know, be discerning. And find multiple sources. You know, I, I look at the, the local newspaper. Uh, a lot of folks say, oh, you need to read the local. Yeah, well, where are you going to get local news if you don't look at multiple sources? So, the, you know, I look at Epic Times. I look at stuff from both sides of the media. I typically don't watch a lot of national news as far as, like, television news. I use the Internet because I can grab more sources. Now, that's not always the easiest way for everyone to do it. That's just how I do it because I think that 
looking at different perspectives on an issue gives me a place where I can land uh, knowing the most information I can possibly know. So knowing information is important. You know, I talked about the police chief and and having a new head of law enforcement in the city of Spokane, but we have a new mayor and this new mayor is going to set a tone. And I think there's a lot of concerns about what that tone might be. Prior to the election, it was spread that the new mayor might decide to open up parking lots for people to live in their vehicles. And it went back and forth where whether that was actually a position that the new mayor was going to hold as mayor. But we already have a, an example in the state of Washington. Uh, Seattle RV safe lot finally opens after a year of delays. Because the city of Seattle was planning on doing this for a while. The lot will house up to 26 RVs plus nine tiny houses. This is out of the Seattle Times. The initial $1.9 million contract awarded in June of 2022 is being spent to both stand up the property and manage its daily operations. The Low Income Housing Institute was the only homeless service provider to apply for the job, and it predicted the site would be operating by the end of 2022. Well, here we are. Washington state tax dollars and King County Seattle tax dollars that were awarded are finally going to be opening up a, a facility for those that are homeless and using RVs to live in. I thought that this was uh, an interesting article to point out just because of the issue with the local mayor and, and, and there's a lot of local frustrations. We had a couple of, RVs that moved into our neighborhood and there were there for a little while. And of course, criminal activity in the area went up because these RVs are typically not just, you know, grandma and grandpa living out their retirement dream in their RV and traveling. That's not what this is. Typically, they are RVs that are being used for uh, criminal activity. People are living in them and they're doing drugs, sometimes prostitution. They move into neighborhoods and then suddenly stuff starts disappearing in alleyways and off of back porches and garages getting broken into. And our law enforcement know this. Our local police know this. That's why I think when we look at, you know, dealing with issues, we can't just have more of this political narrative where we're going to dump money into XYZ and it's going to solve a problem if we're not looking holistically at the issue and having people from other areas of government operations saying, wait a minute, this program's not going to work. You're just going to centralize a problem. Sometimes centralizing a problem is good, so you can consolidate it and deal with it as a whole instead of having it scattered across your city. I, I don't know how it's going to work. I think that there are uh, examples where it has not worked, where lots of money has gotten spent. Kind of like in this situation, they've spent money, and that money's been floating inside of an organization for uh, well over a year, probably because they couldn't find anyone, any neighborhood or property owners or uh, property that the surrounding property owners had 
a, a fit. They had wanted nothing to do with an RV safe lot or basically a criminal element that lives in RVs in their neighborhood. Um, interestingly enough, $1.9 million. And that was, I think, just going to be an annual contract. But it got, you know, expanded, of course, because King County Regional Homeless Authority wants to help people live in their RVs. And in doing that, they're looking at housing 45 to 50 people for $1.9 million. That seems to be a lot of money. I'm starting to look at this homelessness crisis, and I'm thinking maybe we should all go into business for, for this homelessness thing. It's, it seems to be more profitable than, uh, you know, paying your bills and, and uh, paying your taxes and just trying to afford living in your own home. So in this new RV homeless encampment, I'm, I'm trying to educate us on this a little bit because we might have one coming to our community, right, in uh, a new mayoral administration looking to deal with the homeless crisis and people living in their cars. So it says, to ensure vehicle resident safety, all RVs at the Salmon Bay are being drained of fuel and pumped of gray water. Holes are being drilled in every RV to create an electric conduit, Grant said. Grant being someone representing the organization. He said, so people don't have to use propane for heat. Instead, they'll use electric heaters to reduce fire hazards. Now, folks, I, I don't know that there's been a study on whether propane heat in RVs is less safe than electric heat, but in my personal experience of reading articles and reading articles from our fire chiefs that electric heaters are one of the main sources of fires. So we'll see how they put this thing together in Seattle and hopefully we'll be watching that closely before our own city in the new mayoral administration opens up a campground and a parking lot. We're going to take a break. We'll be right back. Welcome to 2024. Yes, Right Spokane Perspective is still on the air. Thanks to you listeners that have contributed to keeping the show going. Yes, those contributions go directly to the show. We fell a little bit short last year in our fundraising. We need to make sure that we can continue the show throughout the year. So you can go to rightspokaneperspective.com to contribute or send those most generous checks to P.O. Box 7620-99207 and make those checks payable to Right Spokane Perspective. Again, we want to stay on the air. We're going to be bringing you interviews throughout the legislative session about the things that are going on at the state capitol there in Olympia, and we'll be bringing you more interviews to keep us all informed on the things in our local community. Let's keep us on the air. Thanks again, and back to the show. And welcome back to Right Spokane Perspective. Yes, jumping right back into the news. It is planned that we are going to see some tax measures on the ballot. And I'm not talking just about those initiatives that the legislature has to act on. We're not going to be seeing those until the next election cycle. But we're going to be seeing special elections this spring, early spring, whether we're going to tax ourselves some more 
for public education. And there's been some plans submitted for Adams Elementary on the South Hill getting a new school and Madison Elementary getting a new school. And if the voters approve the $200 million bond, those two schools would be rebuilt and also there'd be some construction at some other schools but we got to start looking at the cost of these schools and you know it's it's not like i want to see old degraded buildings where children go to school but i look at a lot of other institutions that are able to use properties uh, more wisely and cost effective than our our public school systems of course there are schools that are really old, but they're still concrete. They're solid. Maybe they need some updates. And I know that they plan for some updates, the school board. And they did just before the end of this last year, approved a ballot measure to take more of our tax dollars from our property taxes to build schools. But we're looking at small school. Well, I guess they're not small. They're two or three times the size of the the school that they're replacing, but the cost is like 70 to $90 million every time we build a school. It seems excessive. And I think that the voters are going to be asking some more questions on why they cost so much in the future, especially when people start looking at their personal property tax bills. The biggest portion of that property tax bill does go to public schools, and we're looking for better outcomes uh, they're they're building great schools, but uh, we're looking for better outcomes for students. And sometimes, big open common areas and lots of big glass fronts and you know expanded facilities that are used uh, sparsely are not necessarily the solution for student outcome. At least I don't think so. It's pretty apparent in other areas of government spending that just because you spent more doesn't mean you have a better outcome. And we, you know, looking at the previous discussion that we had here on the spending in the homelessness effort, it's, you know, Seattle spent record dollars and they're just now getting parking lots opened up for RV camping. And of course, that's not going to solve the problem for folks that don't have an RV. Of course, here in the city of Spokane, we've seen a growing number of homeless individuals and we've spent record amounts on it and you know we still see people living in their cars uh, on back streets people if you live in the city of Spokane you've probably had some of those RVs move in but you also have seen the vehicles Uh, one of the you know popular places some of these vehicles park is near retail outlets Walmart's Winco's Target's and their commercial areas where they'll be largely, they think, left alone. So is it going to be a solution to create parking lots for them to park in? I don't think so. I think the, the basic issues of homelessness have to be addressed otherwise. We have just an extremely generous welfare system in this state that if folks are willing to follow just a few little rules and fill out some paperwork, they're probably going to get most of their needs met. A resident in Washington State on fully funded welfare has a higher annual income than many people in many other nations. 
it's my understanding that uh, someone on full-fledged welfare actually makes more than some people in our city that are working full-time. If they add up all the benefits that are at their fingertips, they're making more money than people that are working full-time at just a low-wage job. So it's hard to get people to want to work if they make more on subsidies. So we're going to have to find some balance in there. I think that's going to be up to our legislature. Again, we've got to reach out to those legislators this session and let them know they've got to run for office this next time around. And we're going to be watching the bills that they pass. And, you know, they're, I guess, going to be graded by the voters. Unfortunately, we have not seen the voters throw out politicians that brought forward in the past some of the most unpopular bills that the voters used to get to vote on with those advisory votes, uh, at least on tax increases, because that advisory vote process that we had for many years here in Washington is gone because the legislature didn't like the fact that we were grading them on their efforts uh, you know, I think about that, grading them on their efforts. Uh, maybe that, that should be one of the new things we do as an initiative is uh, somehow create a grade for the legislature. I know that there's lots of groups out there that do that, whether it's, uh, you know, First Amendment rights, gun rights groups, property rights groups. They grade legislators on how they've done in the legislative process. But maybe we as voters should have the ability to do that other than just on the ballot. One of the things that our state government has done when we look at spending is we have the, an agency called the Department of Natural Resources. And, of course, we, we'd like our natural resources managed properly, and that's their task is to manage those properties. But instead of just managing the state lands, really what they're looking to do is grow the amount of land the government owns. And here in the West Coast, the government owns a majority of the land. When you look at some states, the government owns over half the state. If you look at the West Coast in all, there's a huge amount that the government owns. You look over at the East Coast or other parts of the country, the government doesn't own near as much land. And one of the things of the government owning and managing more land is that the government has to spend money managing the land. And where are they going to get the money from to manage it? From the other landowners, the private landowners. So we look at that aspect of, of our, our Washington government, you know, Department of, of Ecology, the Department of Natural Resources. You look at the you know, Wildlife Agency. And, of course, I don't know, two weeks ago we, we talked about the, the wolf reintroduction and how much it's cost us. Tens of millions of dollars spent reintegrating wolves, and now we're spending tons of money. And I actually had looked at an article, and it was done by the Columbia Basin Herald out of Moses Lake, and they looked at DNR purchasing more than 1,700 acres for conservation land inventory. And I'll just take this from the article. Washington added 1,726 acres of land for conservation through 10 land acquisitions in 2023. One year, 
1,726 acres our state gathered up in one year. Think about that, folks. That's a lot of acreage that, for one, that's taken out of private land inventory that's not accessible to farmers, ranchers. Uh, maybe some of it will be uh, available to ranchers, hopefully, so that that resource is actually used for the taxpayer. But if they're just land acquisitions for conservation land that can't be used, then that's under our state management and it's going to cost us money. According to an announcement from the Washington Department of Natural Resources, they claim this land, and here's a quote, I'm so proud of what DNR has done to conserve lands for the next generations, said Public Lands Commissioner Hillary Franz. Well, she's proud of this, and uh, this is these land acquisitions are all across the state, and uh, you know, from King County to Thurston County, there's an area in Kitsap County. There's areas at Washougal Oaks Natural Area and uh, Prairie Natural Area. Uh, each of these land acquisitions is a crucial step forward in preserving and protecting the environment. And they provide a great opportunity for Washingtonians to learn more about the lands around us. DNR Natural Areas Program manage 169,000 acres of conservation lands across 97 land areas. That's a huge amount of land, folks. And the goal of Hillary Franz, public land commissioner, is to take more and more land and set it aside for wildlife. And to many, that sounds great. Conservation lands, more hunting areas, more fishing areas, but more and more restrictions are being put on hunting and fishing. We talked about that a few weeks ago on the show too, where they want to, there's activist groups that are big supporters of Hillary Franz that want to rewrite all of the fishing and hunting guidelines and restrict the seasons and restrict uh, the harvesting of any of these natural resources. And of course we see that on the side of, of timber and other natural resources that create jobs and wealth in our in our state and the more and more land they acquire and the more and more land they take out of service the more and more taxes they need from us not just to manage those lands but also to replace the revenues from the resources that are no longer harvested from those lands so we got to be active in the conversation We've got to talk to our legislators and, and let them know. You know, the supplemental budget's got to be passed this year. One of the ways that we can have our, our government restricted and growing and asking us for more money is by making them responsibly spend the money they have by not giving them anymore. So hopefully legislators will be mindful in that because there's a lot of money going out the door in so many places and it's not just something that goes on in Washington State. There's other places that have taken on similar models of spending and are spending record amounts. They're, they're acting like this federal printed money that happened throughout the pandemic, these you know unnaturally created financial situations for municipal governments and states because of that influx of money and inflation, 
is going to continue. And if it does, it's going to lead to lots of devastation. And if they think there's a homeless problem now, just keep devaluing the money, keep increasing taxes, and keep on the political trajectory you've been on since the odd COVID financial situation that we were in. I think they've got to transition their thinking and kind of look a few years back at where budgets were prior to the raining of funds from the feds. It's been a long time coming. Municipal governments and state governments have long depended on federal spending, but that has been put on a massive steroid in recent years. And we've got to break that addiction because at the end of the day, the federal government is the reign of the reigning of money is going to end and we're all going to be stuck with the bill. So I'd say time to tighten the fiscal budgets like the people that are dealing with the inflation that's caused by those bloated budgets have had to do. All that being said, we'll be with you folks again tomorrow. You have been listening to Right Spokane Perspective. We are sponsored by Right Spokane Perspective LLC and made possible by advertisers you hear and contributions from listeners like you.